I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name's Emmett Mann. Great review, subscribe, and on YouTube, like and subscribe there as well. Joining me today, we got Yasmin. How you doing, Yasmin? How are things? What's up? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm glad. I always say this, but I'm glad I'm talking after a win. <laughs> I have nothing positive to say after a loss, even no matter how insignificant, you know. Um, but yeah, that the yesterday, even though it was against a hobbled Celtics team, uh, it was still a really fun matchup, a really fun game. Um, and it was like, it, it was down to the wire, which I expected going into it. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know something about the Celtics. It's kind of like uh, someone mentioned it to me. I think what the Raptors are to the Sixers, um, they, the Celtics are to the Raptors or it's just mm. like, it's always going to be competitive. doesn't really matter what bodies make up the roster at any given point mm. of the season. <laughs> it's funny that the Raptors kind of, they found this new ideology with, you know, six, eight players across the board based off of that series against the Celtics in the bubble. But then even still to this day, and that was like, you know, a couple of years ago that we're still finding issues with facing the Boston Celtics because, Hey, like, I mean, you saw yesterday, like they're a really well-coached team. They had their issues earlier on the season, but they've kind of found their stride. Um, they rebound really well. They play really physical. Marcus Smart becomes Chris Paul every single time oh, yeah. he faces the Raptors. It's so, so annoying. Um, but yeah, I guess your, your thoughts on, on the game that was, it was a barn burner. Wasn't seeing that. We didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I guess going into it, I knew that Fred, um, has been looking kind of uncharacteristic. We know that he has issues with his Mm -hmm. knee as of late. Um, and I think it's a wear and tear sort of situation. And then you have Gary Trent, who's just coming off of his injury where he was out for a little bit of time. Um, OG still finding his stride. So I thought that this had all the markers of a trap game going into it, especially um, a lot of people say, um, you know, oh, this team is missing key players. You should win. But we know firsthand for the Raptors who have been missing key players, you know, the last few seasons that you can go in and uh, beat anybody, no matter how good, because oftentimes uh, Mm -hmm. when your team looks different, it kind of scraps the game plan that the other team had heading into the um, into the matchup. So, um, I thought that the, that it was a situation where the Raptors were prepared to guard a team with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Horford. Um, and then they were confronted with like Tice and Mark Smart taking <laughs> most of the shots. So yeah, it can be a little off-putting. You could tell that they were not nailing their defensive coverages, a lot of open threes, a lot of mm. scrambling rotations were off. Um, and then you had the guys who were missing, um, shots that they regularly uh, make. And then, you know, Fred did turn it up uh, towards the end. Um, but for, um, Gary Trent was still a little invisible. He had issues um, keeping up on defense with some of the quicker, shiftier guards on yeah. the Celtics. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, Precious was fantastic. Um, Siakam had a, uh, you know, a 
career game. Like it's among the best of his career, I think. Um, and other than that, um, yeah, I, I think that it, I can't take too much away from it other than the fact that uh, Pascal has really found a stride and he's um, rounding out as a player. I think he he really has a handle on every skill set that you kind of want him to have. He has a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool seeing it come together for him um, so continuously. It's never been this continuous, this um, steady for him. Against Daniel Tice in isolation, he was 8 of 13. And then against yeah. Grant Williams, he was six of seven. The game plan seemed like the Celtics, like, all right, we're gonna see if Pascal can just beat us. And he's like, okay, cool. Let's let's and let's try yeah. this. And he did it. For years, a lot of people credited Jalen Brown with his defense of Pascal. And um, Jalen Brown's not the not the best defender. If you ask the Celtics fan, they may say he's the weakest um, among their rotation, their main rotation mm-hmm. guys. Um, he's not a terrible defender. I'd say he probably like he's above average in my opinion. But um, a lot of his success against Siakam was that the, was that he anticipated the spin move and that he kind of just sat in the paint. Um, but we've seen how many counters he's developed over the past couple of season. And, um, you know, when you think about it, players like Rob Williams, Grant Williams, um, uh, John Daniel Tice, their height would give him a lot of problems since 2018. Mm-hmm. So um, to see him just go right at these guys, shoot over them, um, create contact, um, go to his mid-range jumper, go to his really far floater push shot thing that he's been doing a lot lately this season uh, was really cool. And also him um, getting a first step on guards continuously. Like yeah. um, I saw it a lot on Derek White on um, Marcus Smart, where it didn't really matter who's in front of him. Usually guards are, you know, they keep up, but then you shoot over them, but he was able to get past <laughs> Derek yeah. White um, on a couple of possessions, which was really dope. Uh, and yeah, like I, no matter what really happens in the postseason for the Raptors, I know that's what we're thinking about with the season winding down um, now um, the outcome is not really too important for me in terms of whether they win or lose a series. I feel like the season has just been gravy, Um, but um, what I can hope for and that what I can't expect, I think is Pascal having a great uh, series. And um, you know, I, if, if he plays well, it's pretty reflective on the um, success of the team. So no matter who they play, I feel like that they're going to give a heart out to whoever they encounter in the first round. I mean, it could be the Boston Celtics too, which is the craziest thing because there's like four teams up there. They're just jockeying for position and the Raptors. It seems like to me that they're going to probably end up being in that five spot because the Chicago Bulls, they got a really rough April coming up and the Raptors, I mean, their schedule is, well, it's not as nearly as hard as the Chicago Bulls one is. And the Bulls are, they just seem like they're going through a lot of games right now. And even the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're in a five game week right now. It's a lot of games that these guys are going through and the Raptors, I mean, they're getting practice time in. Obviously, Nick Nurse loves his practice time, although today they're they're taking a day off. But then they're just getting that. Things are kind of relaxing a little bit after that big West Coast trip that they had. And obviously, they were very successful, but they're kind of going into the postseason now with you know, hopefully a little bit better health and probably just getting some more stability with their games. It's not, you know as it was earlier on in the year where it was just like so many games and they're all clustered. Now they're pretty spread out, which is uh, yeah. pretty vital, right? Yeah. And you, if you look at the seating, Boston wasn't, they were the first um, just like a day ago. So I, I yeah. the, the L caused them to fall for, so it just tells you how mm-hmm. um, usually um, the seating in the Eastern conference is indicative of like the quality of the team. It's always been that way. Um, but this season, like, 
there's like 4.5 games separating the Raptors from the first seed. I'm not saying they're going to get the first seed. I don't think that's the ultimate goal, but Mm -hmm. uh, it just goes to show you that you can't really point to wins and losses. All of these teams have suffered injuries. All of these teams have dealt with COVID. Yeah, some have had it worse than others. I think the Cavs especially have really gotten the short end of the stick with this. But um, other than that, like a lot of teams have been dealing with stuff and you it's it's really going to be a matchup based postseason. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you encounter a team that just happens to be your Achilles heel in round one, it's going to be an issue, um, which yeah. I think is going to make every round worth watching this year. They're actually three and a half games back from that next cluster. And I only know that because Nick Nurse had a funny quote yesterday where he was asked, uh, it's like, oh, you know, you guys are almost uh, in the in the five spot. He's like, oh, really? It's like, how far are we out of uh, first place? And they go like, oh, three and a half games. He's like, oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> That's not very far. It's like, this yeah. cheeky, this cheeky guy. <laughs> I don't even think it means like we're going to go for first. It just goes, he's trying to stress to whoever's yeah. listening that we're not too far off from whoever is first. So we not can't be pointing to these huge discrepancies. Mm-hmm. Like before the first place would be like five games removed from the second uh, seed. And then like another 10 games removed from the uh, fourth seed, fifth seed. So yeah. it, it's, it, it actually used to look a lot like what the Western Conference looked like right now. Like the huge gap between the Suns and then the Warriors and everyone else. Uh, it used to be what the East looked like a lot. So, yeah. Just thinking about uh, Celtics game for one more second, because I know the conversation afterwards was a very much about the officiating and I understand it. Okay. Like it was, it was a bad game. And I think it was bad on both sides. Like they were just a really, they had a really bad game, all the officials. Um, but you look at it, like the Raptors had 66 points in the paint. They had 18 free throws. Uh, the Celtics had 52 points in the paint, 28 free throws. So it's like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of strange, especially when Pascal was like living in there and granted he had like, I think eight free throws, but I mean, that should be a game where he gets like, you know, at least in the double digits. Um, and there were a few calls down the stretch. Like there was like Gary Trent Jr. where he stripped the ball from, I forget who it was, but that was like, Gary does White, it all the time. Yeah. yeah, but Gary does it all the time. And they called yeah. a foul on him. And I could see Thad Young on the, while the free throws were happening. He was looking at the referees, like motion with his hands. He's like, that was clean. He just, he just took the ball. That's all he did. He just took it. Um, speaking of that young, like probably one of his best games of, uh, of his time with the Raptors so far, he was incredible. Um, you kind of see the value of a player like him and uh, on hustle play the other day, Chris Boucher podcast said it before it's happening. Check out the episode. But um, one of the things that Chris was talking about and what makes that so valuable is that the conversations during timeouts have like changed a little bit where he's going into like the X's and O's and he's really, he just has such a, a wealth of knowledge. He's seen so much in the NBA. You're not going to really phase him with any kind of coverage. So he's able to help players anticipate plays better and that's going to help them, you know, react a lot faster, but he's just a tough dude, man. He plays a tough brand of basketball and that's what the Celtics did yesterday. They did, you know, a lot of offensive rebounds, 24 second chance points. They kind of Raptors, the Raptors with that. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought in the fourth quarter. I'm like, this is like exactly the kind of effort that a shorthanded Raptors team would put forward. Um, and it's interesting because the Celtics have dealt with kind of being um, uh, like w- when people would discuss them, they would discuss the inconsistency in their effort level. That would be, I feel like a prevailing trait for them, uh, you know, losing huge leads by halftime and everything like that. But they're, I think what has marked their uh, success over the um, last, sorry, my cat is just. <laughs> hey buddy. <laughs> what I think has marked their success over the last um in 2022, especially, they're the they're leading the East since 20 the beginning of the year 
um, in the wins and losses uh, in their wins. But uh, I think what has what has defined that has been their effort level, the discipline, which yeah. is like it's not it's not synonymous with the Celtics, you know, the mm. last few years. So um, that's that's great for them, especially in the era of um, Tatum, who's rounding out into a superstar, like into an upper echelon, like top ten kind of player. So that's that's great for them, but. Um, I, I think I noticed, I don't know if you noticed too, but I feel like late in the fourth quarter, the Raptors are like, we're going to have to, we have to really turn it up a couple notches to stand a chance. And, and I feel like there's yeah. a switch in there where they were just throwing their bodies towards rebounds, throwing their bodies towards loose balls. They realized that they are getting all of the rebounds. This is a team, the Raptors are a team that lead the league in offensive rebounds. They were getting dominated on the yeah. board. Yeah. So I think they, I think they noticed that, um, they were they would have to turn it up several notches in order to stand a chance and then you saw it kind of switch in there and then you saw it again from pascal in overtime where it seemed like he wasn't going to lose like he was he determined that it was not going to happen no. <laughs> and so and, and he looked exhausted he was you know hanging on by a thread um everything was looking kind of nonchalant but the effort was like mm. crazy so mm. um i think that it's good for i feel like scotty to witness that to witness that effort level that it takes to pull out wins, especially as they're phasing into the postseason, um, because he's he, you know it's such a rare opportunity for a top five rookie to have playoff reps um, on a good team. So um, seeing how hard you have to play to beat <laughs> disciplined squads, um, it's it's I feel like it's great all around for everybody to kind of experience that. It's it hasn't happened too often this season. I feel like the times it has happened, we really remember it. I think of the uh, Miami Heat game that went to yeah. double overtime. That was another night where it was win by any means necessary, uh, put your body on the line and stuff like that. So um, I love those kinds of games. That's like mm. Raptors basketball to me. And it's cool that they can get to that level too. And that's one of the low key parts of what what's so exciting with the Raptors is that they have three players already who are like who have championship pedigree. And those are all players who are going to be part of your core, you know, for this season and next season. So when you get to those playoff games, they already have that next notch that not necessarily every other team has, you know what I mean? And just focusing on, on Scotty for a second is that he was bowing to Pascal after the game. Like he was like literally bowing because of how good he was. And I mean, I thought it was funny too, that uh, on his last basket, that step back over Daniel Tice, Scotty knew it was going in. Like the moment he was, he was, dancing. He was already <laughs> dancing, right? He already knew it was going in before everyone else. Um, just to read out Pascal's line, because it was ridiculous. Okay. 47 minutes, 17 or 29 shooting. Oh, four from three. That's okay. Um, six of eight from, from the free throw line, 13 rebounds, three steals, two blocks and 40 points and six personal fouls. He used every single last one of them. And that's okay because his defense was exceptional in that fourth quarter and overtime. Oh, yeah. you talk about stepping it up a notch. Like he went five notches up because like you said, he said, we are not going to lose this game. Um, just on that Celtics game for a second, like their defense that they were kind of throwing at the Raptors, they, again, they did kind of just focus on like, you know, Pascal saying, we're going to make you score and uh, let's just see how it goes. But also like they, they really did put an emphasis. And this is something that a lot of other teams are doing now is that they want to see the Raptors hit threes. They want to make you hit those shots and they're leaving this like big gap around the nail and they're just like spreading out and they're saying, we're going to live with this. We're going to make you make shots. And the Raptors, you know, they struggled with that a little bit. You know, mentioned Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet. Uh, both of them, they kind of struggled from the three-point line combined. Let's see. They were four of 14. So there you go. Yeah, not great. Um, I would imagine that, you know, in normal times, Fred, Gary, 
probably would have hit more of those shots. Those are shots that a lot of them, I mean, they, they, they hit those shots, right? Even if they're moving shots, they're tough shot three-point shooters. Like that's, th- those are things that they can do. Um, but we kind of saw the, some of the, uh, the elements that we're going to probably going to see in the playoffs with whoever the Raptors face is that teams are going to make them hit threes. And, you know, bless his heart, that young, he had a couple of big ones. Uh, Precious, your boy, he went one of four. That's okay. It's going to be a little bit up and down, but they're going to need these uh, supporting cast players to hit big shots at points and um, they got to be ready to go. Um, that was a yeah. good example yesterday. Yeah, I noticed um, during the game, uh, the Raptors were not doing the interior passes that I think has kind of defined their offense this season, mm. uh, which is it's good for several uh, buckets a game. That dump off pass, finding the cutter that we see Pascal and um, Scotty and OG do so often, that was almost completely absent. I think Pascal yeah. had one assist the whole game. He did. It's like unheard of for him this season. Mm-hmm. Um, no space know, out there. Yeah, so... I think that the Celtics took a very interesting approach. I don't know how sustainable it is because I feel like it required Fred and Gary really struggling in order to succeed. Yeah. Which is basically single coverage, which, uh, you know, Pascal hasn't dealt with this season too often. He's one of the most double players in the league along with Fred. Um, so I noticed that the Celtics were just basically throwing one guy at him because they know he's going to make that pass. They know he's going to find the uh, open player. So mm-hmm. a lot of the Raptors were just kind of awkwardly standing, standing around, you know, um, their guys were looking directly at them. No one was really looking at Pascal except yeah. Tice or whoever they threw on him. So, <laughs> um, they, they, they basically said like, let him score. Um, and let's stop these guys. We, Cause we know that other than Gary, they can't really create for themselves. So, um, I think that game plan really worked for them, um, for the duration of the game, it it required Fred kind of going nuclear towards the end for it to fall apart. But, um, otherwise I, if I don't see the Raptors backcourt struggling this much, you know, moving forward as uh, you know, if they regain their health, I think they'll be okay. Um, but I, I think it's a game plan that, um, I, I, I'm surprised I haven't seen more teams do it this season, but mm-hmm. um, I, I guess it's just like a testament to um, uh, the gravity that Fred has on the perimeter and that Pascal has in the paint, uh, which has really helped with the Raptors offense this season. I think it, it's tremendously better than last season's offense. So sure. um, yeah, I think that was the defensive approach for Boston. And seeing Fred go side to side, then just like watching his knee kind of like buckle over because he gets to a point where he just can't really do it anymore. I'm just like, oh, man. Losing the ball continuously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, this, this sucks. It's, it's changing my expectations for this season too because he's laboring and, you know, probably if this was a different season, the Tampa season, he probably wouldn't be playing right now. He'd be having yeah, his, yeah. his uh, surgery or whatever is required for him and he'd be saying, we'll see you next season. But he's battling through because I think he sees the potential in this team and who knows, man, Alex McKechnie, he's done some incredible things. Look at Kawhi Leonard. He he limped his ass to a championship with the Raptors. Yeah. So who knows what McKechnie can do for the Raptors and uh, hopefully Frank can respond. Yeah, yeah, and maybe Malachi Flynn comes back and maybe he's able to alleviate some of the pressure. I don't know. Who knows, right? Maybe Malachi helps. Vicks, Vicks Vapor Rub and Ginger Ale. <laughs> it's all Fred needs. Some Shaquille O'Neal Icy Hot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, any other thoughts on the Celtics game? Or should we just uh, no, I'm over it. Yeah. Let's move it I'm on. glad we finished our four matchups with them. It's just too much. I know, I know. I was hoping a speaker would catch on fire during the game. <laughs> when we were down, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, exactly. That would have been a better time. All right, let's just cancel <laughs> this game. 
finish the season with 81 games. No big deal. They wouldn't be rushing to get back out. You know, in Indiana, they're like, we need to get them back out. No, Boston's like, okay, we gotta, um, you know, Boston, do you want to forfeit? <laughs> Can we take the dub? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that was a, that was a tricky one, but tomorrow you got the Timberwolves. Uh, Chris Finch makes his return. And then on Friday, you got the Orlando magic, the Raptors second last away game, at least for the regular season. And then on Sunday, we got Kyle returning our boy, the grilt returns much anticipated. That's going to be a fun one. I I recall Chris uh, has already told Kyle that they're going to whoop his ass. So we um, poked him sure. there already. <laughs> like, hey, man, the boy doesn't need poking right now. He's, I mean, they got their own issues going on, too. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Apparently, it hurts when you don't have, uh, or two of your best players aren't three point shooters. Spacing can become a problem. And here I we see. are. Yeah. yeah we'll we'll we see how it turns out for the Heat. Yeah. They're, they're a strong team, but I just, I don't know. That, that particular that thing, I think it's. Yeah, I feel like that's going to bite them in the ass at some point. Um, against uh, when they get to those like upper echelon teams, it's going to be a problem for them. But with the Toronto Raptors, um, I want to ask you, Yasmin, about some of your thoughts on this big ball experiment. I'm not even sure what to call it. Is it small big ball? Is it? It's like they're they're big in the middle of the court, but like their center is six nine or something, or or Scotty. You know, he's going to be seven foot hopefully by next season because he's still growing. But anyways. Um, what do you think we've learned about this experiment? And like, what are some of the key things that you think the Raptors or at least Bobby Masai and Nick, when they get together during the summertime in Las Vegas and they're drinking their Puna Coladas, maybe not Masai, cause I don't think Masai drinks, but what are they going to be thinking? Like, Oh, this is a, these are the things that we've learned and this is how we're going to make our team better for next season. Yeah. Um, I think that um, a lot of teams have probably been watching the Raptors experiment because I feel like it's kind of how the league is trending. So to see the Raptors just kind of OD with it has probably been really um, great for scouting departments to um, assess. Uh, but I think it's helped us like determine the pros and cons with this um, vision six, nine <laughs> experiment that has happened this season, because it goes beyond the players just being long. I think it's also that, um they have similar skill sets so they are um willing passers i feel like they kind of have an understanding of offense that um is more developed than perhaps wing players of the similar skill sets so i feel like um uh they all have like minimal to average to above average playmaking skills which makes it very interesting which has made it very interesting this season um because i don't think i've seen like that in kind of interior play that we've come to enjoy this season um, from other uh, rosters. So, and I feel like it kind of confuses teams, yeah. overwhelms teams defensively. Um, one thing that's really cool is that I feel like once they've gotten the hang of it, the lack of center issue has become less of a factor. It was super obvious to, I think the first three quarters of the season, first half of the season, two thirds, mm. I don't know, but it was, I feel like it's become less noticeable we saw them have games against um uh I, I feel like Aiton had a great game, Jokic had a great game, um, but it wasn't it wasn't the type of dominance that you expect from like uh superstar players. They had great uh, sh- uh showing outs, but um there there was a time where they would drop 50 of, or more like on the Raptors for those um units that they trot out. So um to see them uh succeed to see precious uh have so much success against Embiid recently yeah um, i think it's just i feel like they're kind of realizing their strengths in these in these units 
they're getting the hang of the um the overcompensating that they have to do with doubling and stuff like that. I think it, perhaps in the beginning, it felt kind of unnatural to yeah. have to swarm <laughs> big men. And then you, I feel like now they're used to swarming and dispersing more fluidly. Um, so I think that it's a matter of them getting the hang of it. Um, there are, I think, shortcomings to these sort of units. I feel like they're still... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kind of offensively underdeveloped, I, even though they're trending towards um, uh, development like Precious Achua, who is yeah. just you know having a great season, he still um, weighs away from where I think he can be. I think he still has, he's only a sophomore player. He still has a lot of time to go. I think that the Raptors could really benefit from a downhill threat, a a downhill kind of ball handler who could kind of penetrate probe defenses in ways that Fred kind of struggles to because of his height, just something he can't overcompensate for, for. even, you know, we saw how good Kyle had to be in order to um, succeed as a downhill threat. Um, and even then he would still have limitations because of his height. So for them to perhaps get like someone of Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart's height or higher, like six, three and above, it doesn't have to be a six, nine player, but just somebody who can um, uh, scramble defenses in ways that bigger players may struggle to do. Cause we don't have five Siakams to put out there. Um, Gary Trent isn't the most, most athletic shooting guard out there. Um, neither is Fred. So I feel like if they get that sort of player, that's something that Bobby and Bobby Webster and Masai would probably consider um, this off season. But um, I think that they're going to continue. Um, I don't think they're going to um, uh, rush or um, scramble to get a center, a traditional center anytime soon. I don't, I don't really um, see it happening. I feel like there are other peripheries to the roster that they're going to yeah. focus on improving because if it was a priority it, it wouldn't have been Thaddeus Young <laughs> that they brought in so <laughs> that's true uh, I, think, I think Thaddeus Young um acquiring him was kind of a symbol of um yeah they really believe in this experiment that they're doing and they wanted to kind of define the club for the next um few years in this you know new era of Raptors basketball so mm-hmm. um personally yeah I I, I think it's I feel like I had high hopes for it kind of unrealistic like I thought that it would kind of um, be kind of like a a, a death lineup situation where it's just super switchable and blah blah blah. but no like switching is kind of overwhelming sometimes um, especially for uh, teams that are very proficient in passing like the Celtics like switching is a struggle like it, it causes confusion sometimes you don't know who's covering for who and 
um it, it kind of is a struggle at times and it took them a while to get the hang of this it took them a really long time and i think they're just starting this which is the perfect time because they're going into the postseason so mm -hmm. it's like it's a great time to for them to um kind of get the hang of this um situation and um integrate integrate uh scotty into it because it's going to be his future <laughs> perhaps for the next almost decade so yeah sure and uh you touched on a few important things there i think just on <clears throat> offensively with the playmaking i think that's obviously extremely important because you know the deficiency in shooting that they had for you know large portions of the season even chris boucher like he struggled at the beginning of the season for with the shot and even to some degree he still kind of is but you're not able to have enough shooting on the court. So how are you going to score then? Well, it's probably going to be through yeah. you know, driving to the rim and playmaking in those interior passes that you were talking about. So you kind of have to have a little bit of both of those. And you need that all your players, at least at your six nine players, they got to have like some guard tendencies and they got to be extremely athletic because if they're not um, there, it's going to show in some degree um, on both ends of the court. And then I think it's also with this is that you really do need players with a certain kind of mentality that they're they're looking to take on challenges like they got to have a certain degree of snarl to their game because there's going to be mismatches on on the defensive end for them like they're going to be having to take on players who are smaller and quicker than them or it's going to be players who are bigger and stronger than them and so yeah. they got to be able to fight through all that and the raptors i mean through some smart drafting they were already on their way with that with pascal and og and now scotty barnes and so you kind of just add to that a little bit and then you add in like, you know, Gary and Fred and your whole starting lineup. Like th those are players who are willing to take on that challenge of guarding players who are, aren't their typical matchup. And that's extremely important. You just got, it's, it's that mentality. Right. And um, that's a very precious, like you said, uh, he's willing to take that on that challenge too. And those aren't players that exist everywhere. I mean, you can go look in, at any NBA roster, look at the Bucks or the 76ers or the Nets or whatever. You're going to look at players like they probably don't fit with the Raptors. No, they don't fit. They don't fit. They don't fit good NBA players, but they mm -hmm. just don't fit what the Raptors are. And look at Goran Dragic, right? I mean, people have had their opinions about him, but he was uh, he's a, still an NBA player. He's doing okay in, in Brooklyn, although I guess his shot is struggling a little bit, but he's an NBA player. But this is a case where you have a, a talented player who just doesn't fit the Raptors anymore. And yeah. I think they're still figuring out like what their mold is. But Thaddeus Young is another player who just who fits like a glove. And it's so cool seeing how he's uh, kind of meshed with the team. And I mean, I would be very surprised if he's not a Raptor next year. He's got to be. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the last thing is just I want to touch on Fred for a second because you really do need a very versatile point guard. Um, a player who can play on the ball, off the ball, who is willing to be a point guard who screens because that's how you're able to create a lot of those mismatches and also is good at screening. And Fred's excellent at it because he's not afraid to put his body on people. And uh, they got to be able to guard up a little bit. And I, just like I mentioned earlier, you know, Fred, I remember he was guarding Chris Middleton. He was doing a pretty good job at it too. Yeah. Um, a couple of years <laughs> back. Like he's, he has that snarl about him, like I mentioned. And that's so important from your point guard because they got to be able to, you know, read situations situations on the fly and um, they got to be able to be effective without the ball. And that again is not typical of all NBA point guards. They're not all like John Morant and Fred Van Vliet who just want to, you know, win games and do whatever it takes. Kyle Lowry, Chris yeah. Paul. I don't people that say, like, Oh, you didn't mention this guy. They're not everywhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, like a Trey young, he probably wouldn't fit with the Raptors. Why? Because of the things I just outlined, he just doesn't have that body type to him or that mentality, or um, I guess that, uh, I guess that cachet that's that bet on yourself mentality that uh, Fred yeah. Van Bleed has. 
yeah, they're, they phased out of, you know, um, their last identity and they're kind of figuring out, you know, the, the ethos of the team moving forward. And I think they're doing a great job in kind of um, solidifying it by getting all of these players that have the same approach to the game, the same mm. um, ideology, because, yeah, I feel like Trey, a player like Trey Young, for example, wouldn't fit on the Raptors, but there is a team that would, you know, thrive off of that kind of culture. It's just, it just wouldn't work here. You know what I mean? And I feel like if you took a Raptors player, stuck them on Atlanta or something, they would, they'd struggle because they're just probably, perhaps not used to the way the usage is distributed and all that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to see. And, you know, you spoke on Fred's versatility. Um, I remember um, his, I feel like, going back um an issue that would always be pointed out was that like this guy's not really like a traditional point guard he's not a regular point guard um but he really wanted to be one <laughs> so he would be doing all the things that you know this guy's a, a smaller shooting guard that's what he is that's what he is um and he would always and he would always push that he was a point guard a regular point guard a traditional point guard mm-hmm. but he's really embraced the shooting guard role I feel like this season, yeah, Fred has improved his passing drastically, but this team needs a score. And he's like, he's been that he could very easily be like a 14 and seven kind of guy. Um, and it would have been okay. It would have been fine. Um, he would have been exactly, um, you know, like, um, perhaps a past version of Kyle or something, but yeah. this needs him to be Fred. This team needs him to make those big shots to, be prolific in his scoring yeah he's been injured lately so i wouldn't really look too closely at it since he's injured but um they needed him to just score on a team that's kind of severely lacking in that and that's that's what he just he's done and that's another indication of um just doing what the team needs doing yeah. what occupying what role needs to be occupied regardless of um uh career plans or ego or anything like that <laughs> yeah and it's like the pacing of his offense too, is that he's very, like, he's very methodical with it. He's very calculated with when he decides to take his shots. And again, this is all kind of like before his knee issues have come up because he's a very different player. Now he's pretty much just like a catch and shoot guy who gets to the rim sometimes, not really. Um, it's, it's, again, it's, it's so unfortunate because this team, like, they, I feel like they have a chance against, against almost anyone in the NBA. I really do feel like that when they're healthy. <laughs> You know, and uh, you don't want to waste. Not this is a wasted year; it was a development year. But it's turned out that this is isn't just a development year. This is like a year where you can actually make some noise. It just kind of happened that way. But yeah, with Fred, he uh, he's 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 not in a rush to find offense for himself. And you know, when the matchups are presented to himself, when he's got like a Vucevic or some other uh, traditional center, he's like, all right, let's let's make this switch, and I'll drive to the rim. I'll get I'll collapse the defense. I'll make kickout passes. All that kind of yep. stuff. He's willing to do that. Or, or if I'm just a catch and shoot guy and you got me coming off screens because, you know, the, the paint is collapsing because Pascal and Scotty have like their two man thing happening and, you know, it's killing them. Then all of a sudden you need me to be on you know, the, the corner or the 45 or whatever yep. just to hit shots. I can do that too. And that versatility in the, in the willingness. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the willingness to be that guy <clears throat> who's like kind of in the offense and also maybe isn't, but is going to just like kill you on the defensive end. It's a, it's a rare thing, man. Like he's obviously he's a protege of Kyle Lowry, and this is exactly how Kyle was too. Um, and so he just fits this this team like a glove. And point guards like him, um, they don't exist. Like I said earlier, and it's they're hard ones to find because that's he truly is special in his own way. And we like to look at the things that he isn't, but let's also focus on the things that he is. And he's a rare find, man. Very rare. And just going to some of the other parts of the offense is that you really do find that. 
because of you know some of the the low post presence that the Raptors have with the Pascal and OG and Scotty. One of them always, is always going to have a, mat, a mismatch in some capacity, and that spread offense becomes such an off uh, such a, a weapon for your team. And I see the Raptors like kind of using that more and more, and that's where kind of some of that two man game comes up too. Um, it's like your best friend. That's the thing that you need with your with an offense like this, with a team like this. You need to be able to spread the floor, and again, this is where the shooting becomes so important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and it's um, it's interesting because last night versus the Celtics, I feel like they resorted to a lot of transition offense, yeah. which I feel like hasn't been a crutch for the Raptors' offense in a couple of years. I feel like that post championship season. 25 to 30% of the offense was transition scoring, just locking down on defense, yeah. um, getting the turnover and letting Pascal run. But when things weren't working, they kind of reverted to that, which is cool that they can have, they ha- still have that kind of muscle memory of, um, you know, Fred's just always ready to pass it forward. Pascal's always ready to pass it forward. He's always ready to break away. So it's kind of cool that they, even Boucher is like now taking it up the court. Yeah. Um, so it's cool that they still have like that kind of uh, that just speaks to the experience over the years um, that they kind of have skills to fall back on when all else fails. I think that's a lot of things that young teams kind of lack. They don't have, you know, how can we win in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they, they have that now just from years of experience alongside each other. So a quick moment on Chris Boucher, only because what it's been so impressive about him is that it seems like his <clears throat> basketball IQ has like gone up like seven notches. And I feel like with that is that he uh, he was a person who you always felt like he just was just, just kind of missing something sometimes. Like he just wasn't, the, the game was just kind of moving way too fast for him. Like he was an energizer bunny. He's blocking threes. He's blocking shots. He's hitting, he's dunking, he's rolling to the rim and he's He's doing good, good things and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like now there's a calm to a degree with some of his, yeah. his game. And I think that's like, you know, working with a player like that, um, Ken Birch, like <clears throat> just being, I guess, having a different role within the offense. I think he has a, a better understanding of the, the offense overall. And that's helping him um, understand and read situations much faster and clearer than probably um, what his default was last time, which is probably just like pedal to the metal. Yeah, no, I agree 100% because I don't think it was ever like an issue of um, IQ for Boucher because he's a guy who started playing super late, like what, 19 years old or something. He started yeah. playing professional basketball for him to um, to acquire the knowledge, the physique and everything and then become a professional in such a short amount of time. Yeah, he's older now, but I'm talking about when he was um, when he went undrafted, his time at the Warriors, his time with the Raptors and everything like that. Um, so I don't think it's an issue with that, but I do think that he was overwhelming himself with his role when it was only, it was, his role only needed to be so small, but I feel like he was trying to do the most, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the, get the, get the highlight plays and whatnot, but f- simplifying his role has really just allowed him to thrive in it, which I think has done wonders for his values because, uh, overexposing players is very real, especially ones that may not have the skill set for what they're trying to do. It makes them look far less capable than they actually are. So for, for Boucher to do less and do it really well has just done wonders for his value. Like I, he's not going to have any issues getting his next contract. He's going to have um, a long career. He's he started late as hell. This guy has fresh legs. He's going to have fresh yeah, legs. Exactly, right? <laughs> He's playing, he's playing yeah. until he's 38, this guy. <laughs> yeah. I was on a work call, like, was it yesterday we were talking about this? He's like, is 
is Chris Boucher going to be too expensive for the Raptors next season? Like he, he might be like, there's going to be teams out there, especially with, you know, where the league is trending. Like we talked about earlier, he kind of fits that mold so well. He's, he's a valuable player. Like maybe he's yeah. not your starter, but off the bench, if he's this version of Chris Boucher, who's accepting his role and is improving his knowledge of the game, like you can make the case of like, all right, he's probably going to get a, a decent pay raise by someone. It only takes one team who's going to take a chance on him. And I wonder if that could be a case where the Raptors are like, we can't afford you anymore. (laughs) I think it's a valuable contract to keep. I think if it's not too outrageous of a price, I think the Raptors should match it because you're not going to have issues trading Chris Boucher. I feel like he's, he's sunned Mm. enough teams (laughs) for them to (laughs) see that he's worth um, trading for. So uh, you think about it. Like, I feel like he's had a great game against probably every NBA team at this point (laughs) over the last two years or last year. Or yeah. something like he's just yeah he's been super consistent he's his defense has transformed like he's someone super comfortable and Nick Nurse is super comfortable having Boucher guard guards mm-hmm. um and I I honestly have not seen him burn too often he has the wingspan to keep up even if they pass by him he gets to block yeah. from behind um he's really good at gauging how far he should stand he trusts his wingspan to contest the threes and everything he's just been so disciplined um and yeah we're all Boucher fans now see. Yeah. Like you play well, we're down. Like we're <laughs> we, we will go to war for you if you play well. Ain't that the truth? That uh, thing that you mentioned about uh, uh, understanding your wig stand, I think that's something that Scotty learned quite a bit this year too. Is because he's yeah. always guarding <laughs> the perimeter and his uh, his lateral movement. Like you, you see, he's not really doing defensive slides anymore. He's kind of just doing like these little shuffle feet because he realized that if he's doing like actual defensive shuffles, he probably can't keep up with some of these players. He's too on the big. I, I think yeah, he's, he's just gotten too big. Straight up, no, straight up though. He is. Right? Yeah. So trusting your length is something that I think he's learned about this season and he's gotten much better at that. He still gets burned a lot. And I'm sure that's something that maybe he's going to look at this off season. It's weird to say like, Oh, he's got to improve his physique when he's like a monster, but getting he's a little bit more, yeah. yeah, but getting a little bit more, I guess like, you know, East West, better better at that movement uh with this footwork yeah. it could probably help him and it's going to help him next season too and uh, it's kind of going with this too is that uh knowing your position is really important because that young has talked about this chris boucher has talked about this he's like you know like you're used to playing like the four or the three or the five or whatever and all of a sudden you're being told that with with a check-in with a sub all of a sudden now you become the four or you become the five or you become the three yeah. and you got to make the, that the one for Scotty. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. And you got to make that <laughs> mental switch and that can be really difficult. And I think that's another part of the Raptors offense, which has made us like kind of look at, look a little bit lackluster at times is that it is very simple, but I think that's because they're just not really ready for yeah. all the new elements that they need. Like, yeah, they could use more off ball movement, but guess what? That power forward is now a center. He needs to know that he has to make that switch. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's where like, you know, 24 second shot clock clock's going down, broken possession. All of a sudden, nothing, nothing good is happening anymore. Or, and, or your point guard is now center. <laughs> like <exactly. laughs> Literally, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> When you think about it, that's actually a great point. When you think about it, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I love how Pascal, like when you see him on the openings, the starting lineup card on like TS Center Sportsnet, he's never the same thing. It's it's like everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I feel like Pascal is like the guy who who seamlessly switches between every role. Yeah. Like I I feel like we'll see him bring the ball up. We'll see him playing center the next. Like uh-huh. you never see the mental lapses. He's used to it. He's well true to it. Um. But no, yeah, that's a really good point. That kind of speaks to the mental lapses that we keep witnessing, I think, um, because 
yeah, like it affects them on both ends, which doesn't make sense. But when you peep that they might be guarding you guys, you know, on a possession to possession basis, on a yeah. check into basis, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and I remember reading an interesting stat where Scotty is like the first rookie since Magic Johnson to play all five roles for significant portions of the game um and if you look at it it's quite evenly split <laughs> on defense and offense between every role so mm. it's just more more fodder for his rookie of the year case because you, you talk about his um burden on the court what is expected for him is unprecedented i think it's up there with Cade. Cade sure. is expected to lead a team but he's expected to do a little bit of literally everything it's not He's limited yeah. to this baseline defensive role. He's not going to be fed as he's running to the basket um, like a player like Mobley would. But um, I think Scotty, I think it's between Scotty and Cade, honestly, um, at this point. Ooh, when you talk okay. about, yeah, when you talk about, I think, um, the, the workload, when you talk about the expectations on the court, um, the, we give the, um, the credential of a defensive anchor um, to a player like Mobley, but uh, I think that if you, when you peep what is expected of Scotty, what's expected of Kate on both ends of the court, um, to it, it's basically like they're being expected to take on every single role. Yeah. Uh, with and in Scotty's cases, on, on minimal usage at the same time, which is like even more challenging. He does not have a lot of room to make mistakes. And he's no. still up there with the best of the best in his numbers and everything. And he's closed. Um, the statistical gap between him and uh, a couple of the other guys um, where it's not even a, a factor, I think in his, uh, in his case, but we'll see. I feel like a lot of the narratives were set in the middle of the season when Scotty was going through a bit of a rookie. I wouldn't even call it a rookie wall. I think he just had a couple consecutive games that were um, lackluster, yeah. um, but um, he's turned it up. I think in, in um, post all-star break um, he's been fantastic. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it <laughs> is divvied up. There's still, I don't know. The awards are awarded after um, the playoffs, so who knows? Maybe a couple statement games for his rookie year might be all it takes. But we'll yeah. see. I mean, we we know like it's a regular season award, but like you said, I mean, it's all about the narrative. And earlier on, the narrative was, look at Evan Mobley. Look what he's doing. Look how good the Cavs are. But all of a sudden, the Raptors now, well, they're above the Cleveland Cavaliers in the standings. And actually, you know what? They're only three and a half games out of that upper echelon, like we talked about earlier, of uh, of the Eastern Conference. So, like, that argument's kind of gone now. And then you look at his body of work, and now that argument, it definitely takes precedent to me. And I was one of the people, like, a few weeks ago, I was doing um, a radio hit. I'm like, ah, I think it's probably Evan Mobley. But that's how quickly this surprised. is changing. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And it would still yeah. be deserved. The top three no guys person. are phenomenal. They're, they're just, they're different kind of players. And you don't, players that you don't really get uh, all the time. And so all three of these teams are going to be very, very happy for many years to come. Mm-hmm. But uh, also with an argument of Pascal Siakam, all NBA. Again, a few weeks ago, maybe not. But now, oh, Miami, Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, having some issues. Oh, that's not looking good yeah. for him as a, on that uh, third all NBA team. He was the player that I thought would be there and that would negate Pascal being there. But uh, now how things are going, Pascal has a performance like this, 40 points, 13 rebounds. And a- cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
huge game. Uh, the Raptors are closing in on that top tier of the Eastern Conference. Now it's just like, well, now how can you not give Pascal all yeah. NBA? It would be it would be wrong at this point. Um, I think that's kind of where we're going, and I don't think the Raptors are going to take their foot off the gas pedal either uh, down the stretch of the season. They're going to keep on winning games, and uh, if all these other teams are kind of just like you know going five and five, and the Raptors are going eight and two, well. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's to follow. Yeah. To follow up last season, which was like what a 27 win season with a season this year above 45 wins would be just kind of unheard of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the, the bounce back. Um, uh, I feel like, I feel like a 45 win season would have been good for like third seed in like 2019 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of speaks to the level of play. And I feel like this, this league is just getting more talented and more talented all the time there used to be uh, i feel like a good third of the nba that was just unplayed unwatchable basketball barely a team (laughs) but i feel like i feel like every there aren't guaranteed wins as often as before i feel like there aren't i remember assessing the the um season schedule at the beginning of the year and i'm like we're the easy teams. I can't. Exactly. We're the guaranteed wins. You know when you go through them and you're like, oh, that's yeah. a win. That's a win. I'm like, where are they? I see the Pistons. I'm like, oh, that's four losses, right? There. <laughs> like, it's it's very true. I talked about to, to Katie Heindel about this too. Is that there just isn't a, an easy night in the NBA anymore because you can truly lose. Like, and it was a cat. It was a bit of a cliche thing to say you can lose any given night, but you really can lose on any given night these days because there's so much talent in the NBA, and it just takes you know insert here going off for twenty five or thirty or something like that. All of a sudden, you know the freaking the seventy sixers they beat the Miami Heat and they were without Joel Embiid and James Harden. Like, what is going on? What is this? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it made no yeah. sense to me. But this is the that would have been like the talk of the season if it happened like three years ago, four years ago. It would exactly. have been like a highlight of the season. No, nowadays you can lose to OKC. It yes. might happen. Yeah, Shea will go off for thirty. I miss Shea. I hope the Timberwolves are good. Yeah. Like it's just weird. <laughs> they shut down Shea again. Yeah, <laughs> he has the best. Jo- Someone said he has the best job in the NBA. Just, just to you know get buckets dress well and then like sit for the end of the season <laughs> man he wants to play games like this is getting kind of silly like they got to make a decision on what they're trying to do this year like or this for the future there needs to be some sort of repercussions Shay should charge them I think. <laughs> that's what should happen Every, because yeah. we're being robbed of Shay. We'll come home soon enough. Uh, that's a great way to finish off the podcast right there. <laughs> um, you were saying the 45 wins for the Toronto Raptors right now. They're at uh, 43 and 32, 75 games, seven games remain. So it seems like they're going to get at least 45, hopefully a little bit more. If you can manage going out without a loss and Ooh. entering 50, oh my God. Oh my God. And that'll be a nice marker for 2022. <laughs> As Nick Nurse said, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Well, Yasmin, yeah. Yeah, this was a pretty good podcast. Thanks for joining me. Um, you can find her at Carmelo Drama on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Talk to you later.